All right, welcome to another episode of the Texas Man Cave. We are uh, excited to have a guest here today. I'm Aaron. I'm Jeremy. Jeremy. So we've got a uh, awesome gentleman, local Lubbock guy, I guess you could say, Carl Isett. Um, he is, um, man, I'll just let you go. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of uh, from, you graduated Texas Tech and kind of from the area? Yeah, uh, I did. I actually graduated high school from Border. Okay. Texas, I'm a Border Bulldog. But, um, I uh, pursued a, uh, early in life I pursued the desire to do race cars and go fast and I went to an automotive trade school out of college and uh, out in Phoenix and then I came back and uh, got sidetracked riding motorcycles and Harleys around the country. Uh, so I took a little break before I started my formal education and uh, ultimately ended up with a double major in accounting and finance. Uh, married a little girl from Shadowwater, um, and then we, uh, then through a, just a strange uh, set of events, I um, had always wanted to serve in the military, so I uh, took a commission, direct commission in the Navy uh, Reserve as a logistics officer, a supply corps officer, so that anything with a dollar sign attached uh, is there under their cognizance. So, um, and then a few years later, I um, finished my master's uh, I got a master of science uh, from from tech and finance, mostly statistics and economics classes. And then a couple of years later, I got elected to the Texas legislature. Wow. I served 14 years, seven yeah. terms. Uh, you know, I always said by the will of the voters and the grace of God. Um, and so that was a blessing, and, and I just tried to be faithful in, in my things there. And I ended up serving 26 years in the Navy. Had, wow. um, Probably the capstone was I had my own joint command in Afghanistan in 2011. Um, so how a single sole, pro sole practitioner accountant ends up with a joint command <laughs> in an active theater of war is kind of a, a, an interesting story, but, yeah. but God has blessed the works of my hands and I just tried to be God's guy where God had me. That's amazing. That is awesome. It's quite the journey. You guys have any kids? Um, I have seven kids. Wow. Okay. So keep, keep it going. Grandkids yet? Um, I have two and a third coming. Nice. So, well, congrats. Um, awesome. But, congrats. And just for for the record, my grandfather' name is Dude. Dude. Okay. Dude. So That's the, awesome. All my kids go, Dude. <laughs> Dude. I like that. So yeah. I didn't want to leave it at, uh, you know, like some of my friends or whatever first thing comes out of their mouth. Yeah. Like, blah, 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 blah. It's going right. to be your grandfather name? Yeah. Really? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would just encourage people to think they're their grandfather name. Yeah. Unless yeah. they're happy with me, my papa, whatever. Right. So. Right. That's awesome. So what was the uh, big driving factor and determining factor to get into uh, you know, the legislation? Well, it was, again, just a strange concatenation of events. I, uh, as an accountant, I had um, some guys who I worked with and who had gotten involved in the Republican Party level, locally, the Lubbock County Republican Party. And they said that Texas Tech had become a system. The legislation had been passed in the previous session to make Texas Tech a system. And it looked like there was going to be um, that John Monfort would become the first chancellor. And if that happened in this certain period of time, then probably one of the current state representatives would put their name in the hat to run for that. And that ended up being Bob Duncan. And Bob Duncan was my state representative. I knocked on doors for him when he wow. ran. And, um, and I had never thought about, honestly to goodness, never had a conscious thought about being elected. Yeah. Um, I was just 
you know, as an accountant, I saw the, the burden that was put on taxpayers uh, yeah. firsthand when my clients would have to make decisions about taking their family on vacation or buying a new piece of equipment um, or paying their taxes. And um, so I, you know, I had empathy for that. But anyway, so it, but it just struck me odd. And I just felt like I needed to pray about it. So I prayed about it for a couple of weeks, which, which was weird. And um, I felt like God was saying, walk through any doors I open. So I got with my wife and said, you're gonna think this is odd, but I've been praying about this and I think we should pray about it. So we prayed about it for another couple of weeks and we felt consistently that we should just see where God leads. So anyway, I called um, my friend who was the, on the uh, president of the chapter, I guess, and I said, what do you think? And he said, I think you'd be a great guy. To, to do that. So um, he said, call the members of the board. I called all the members of the executive uh, board of the party, the, all the precinct chairs. And except for one, they all said, Carl, if you decide to do this, because there were a bunch of if-thens yeah. to even have yeah. that opportunity, but they said, but if you decide to do that, we're with you. So all those things happened, and exactly 12 weeks to the day, uh, the uh, the Republican Party got together the executive committee for the 84th House District, and I took, uh, there were five people came before him, I took 70% of the vote on the first pass, wow. and they moved wow. by acclamation um, exactly 12 weeks to the day before the election. Wow. And I had no money, <laughs> no organization, and no clue yeah. how to run a race. I mean, yeah. it's just kind of like, okay, now what do we do? Right. Yeah. So right. they said, raise some money. So, you know, so first was friends and family money, and, um, and we branched out from there, but um, you know, I just stayed on message, just, you know, I didn't have anything bad to say about the other guy. I felt I'd had so little money, I thought, yeah. I'm going to spend it, I'm going to talk, you know, spend it on, um, on what I believe in. Right. And either people believe in what I believe in or they don't. Yeah. And so um, I won with 57% of the vote, something like that. And uh, never really, I never had a primary opponent um, after that and, um, in 2000. One, we redistricted all of North and East Lubbock into the 84th House District, which I served. And um, and under the because of the Equal Rights Voting Act, if you move any minorities, you have to take all of them under those rules, make it an opportunity district. And we did that. And um, then I started having some modicum of, of you know retired teachers running against me. I never was really yeah. popular with retired <laughs> teachers, which I don't understand because I kept voting to give them raises. But, yeah. Um, the so I still wanted you know barely ever below sixty percent so yeah. God God blessed the works of my hands and yeah. and uh, I just tried to be faithful and and I knew who Carl was when he got elected and I knew who Carl was going to be when he wasn't elected I just tried to be Carl while I was elected that's awesome so, well, that's yeah, great that's great um what's your thoughts on the on the current up and coming election. I'm trying, <laughs> I think like everybody else, I'm trying not to. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's just a funny time in the party. Um, if we're talking about the, the upcoming primary, where I've never seen Austin so engaged in house races yeah. um, around. So you have uh, the governor being mad at people who voted against voucher systems or some sort of uh, scholarship program. Uh, for for people who qualify, or and then you have Paxton mad at everybody who voted against him in the House, 
um, and he and then he has the the guys who Tim Dunn, who's who's a lovely gentleman. I, I met him a long time ago, um, and 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 he's done well. And you know, there so there's this money out there that that uh, that they're using to try to run against incumbents who um, they have a different idea of how conservative you have to be. I, I will tell you that I don't. Um, the the this past legislative session was the most conservative legislative session I've ever seen. I mean, I wish I'd had the votes that they have now. Yeah. When I was there, we had just barely taken over the Texas House in 2003, the Republican oh, wow. had since Reconstruction. And so yeah. we were not used to being in the majority. And so it took, um, you know, there were growing pangs with that. Um, but I grew up in a world being in three terms in the minority party when Pete Laney from uh, Plainview was the speaker. And if it had not been for some senior Democrats reaching across the aisle and helping me pass some things that I thought needed to be done, I would not have been successful. So when we took over, um, I reached across, I remember that, and I would go find junior members of the minority party to carry, help me with some legislation. And so because I needed them to have wins because the longer they were there and the longer we could work together, uh, the more we could do for Texas. And I always Makes felt um, that we were at our best when we governed together. Yeah. Um, the current, I'll just sidetrack and say that this current idea that having Democratic chairman is a bad idea in a Republican world, I mean, I get it, I understand it. But they need to remember I was there when 12 Republicans went with um, 60 Democrats or you know, 65 Democrats and booted um, Tom Craddock out of the speaker chair. And I am so glad that you brought that up because that's that's something that I wanted to get into is what you thought about the lack of bipartisanship on the on the national level, it seems like nowadays. I, I think that's just status quo. Um, you would still like to think that, and, and the polling shows that most most people think Congress is a terrible place with terrible people, except they're a guy. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I follow suit on that. If, if there is a better man on the planet at this time than Jody Arrington to be serving us, I don't know who it would be. Yeah. Um, but I think God ordained him to be there, and and that he's just a, a good, faithful man. Um, the, uh, and I feel the same way about um, our friends in the legislature. And they're friends of mine, and, and you know, Lubbock's not a really big place, so um, you have these relationships with your elected officials that I don't think you have in, like, Dallas, where yeah. you know, yeah. they you More have, protected. You have 15 or 20 House members. You know, you're just trying to get some attention somehow. Yeah. Where in Lubbock it's a single media market, and there are only three of us. Yeah, the senator and and and, and you can't say enough good things about Charles Perry. How mm -hmm. yeah. how impressive and um, he is as a, as a person, but also how successful he is and, and influential he is in policy. So um, the but the I think it's not so much the the that there's partisanship. It is the rancor, I think, in which it's done. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, what I think, I don't know if it um, 
it turns off other people, but it, it certainly um, influences, you know, I just don't want to hear it. I think you should be, just because you disagree doesn't mean you have to be um, rude to each other or um, rancorous. But, but, but in, at the congressional level, you know, this has been going on forever. You know, I mean, there, you know, it, it, if you take it back to the British Parliament the, and the screaming they do at each other across the, yeah, the yeah. aisle, and um, it, it is that negative campaigning has always been a thing, and and you know, it, it there is a point at which there is the public debate, and then there's governance. Yeah, and once you get after you get past the election cycle, it's time to govern. And do what's in the best interest of the people, regardless of what party you're in. Yeah. And you may still have disagreements on, on what that is. Um, you know, the, like the border situation or something like that. You know, their idea of an open of a closed border is 150,000 a month. Yeah. <laughs> is okay. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then it says the president may, <laughs> not the president shall. Yeah. At least everything I've heard. So, but you can have those kinds of policy debates without being acrimonious, I think, about it. And I think that's what, um, that's how I was was um, encouraged and mentored when I was a, a junior yeah. member in the minority party. See, to me it seems, it, it seems like lately that you see, it seems like back when I was a kid watching, watching things and I was younger, like you would see a lot more you know, if it was if it was a Democrat bill, say on the, on the table, that you would get some of those Republicans voting for it, and vice vice versa. Um, it seems like there's a lot less of that now. Do you think that's the truth, or it, it is, I, or they're I, even kind of like shamed for it? Yeah, they, yeah. They it's like if you're if you're a Democrat, you have to go with the Democrat. If you're a Republican, you have to go with the Republicans, and if you don't, then you're just the, okay. the bulb. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there used to be middle ground. Yeah. Um, so right. if you like look at the scale from conservative to um, or moderate to conservative on the right, and the and the conservative to liberal on the left, there used to be an overlap. Yes. Uh, yeah. And now that that overlap has has gone. And yes. The when you look at it, the most conservative voices tend to win primaries. And the most progressive voices win primaries on the Democratic side, and that's fine. I mean, it's you know, I, I'm a big believer in the system that people get what they what they deserve. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. their voting. But there, but there is a it's there is a divide there, and there's almost no room, if at all, any, in the middle to work. Yeah, and, uh, and I think that that's unfortunate. There used to be, you know, when I came in, there were a, all those good guys from you know they were. Um, you know, many of them were from tech, and they, uh, but they were Democrats, old yellow dog Democrats, we would call them. But they were conservative. In, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, but then, yeah. you know, they kept going. The party, their party, kept going left, and that's why many of them have, you know, left their party and joined ours. Um, but it is because that wasn't, especially in rural Texas, and we mm -hmm. were a hub in rural Texas, but. You know, I mean, we're you know we're small and sparse out here. We have a bunch of yeah. towns without much population. Or in East Texas, you have a bunch of little towns without much population, but they're yeah. they're more dense. They're only ten miles apart instead of thirty miles apart. About a horse's day ride. Yeah, <laughs> out here. So, um, but it 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 is, I I think frustrating to watch. Um, 
that uh, that and if you come in even with the idea that you can work the other side, you're quickly taught that it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're sort of excoriated uh, by your own people. And, yeah, well. and then and you know in the leadership in in the national level controls committee assignments and so and so you do what the, what the leadership says and you and I, and I don't say want to say you have to vote the way leadership says but yeah. but um, but there are consequences if you don't apparently it seems to me yeah. I don't know that that's true but it seems that way it sure seems that way yeah you're right oh I was gonna add I think a lot of the divisiveness among conservatives and liberals leftists all that a lot of that has been brought on by uh, a push in the media and the way it represents it. It's they they portray it in a way that you have to be one or the other. You can't be in the middle, and if you are one, then you're terrible to the other, and vice versa. And if someone you know is the other, the opposite side of you, you know they disagree with everything that you think and you believe, and they're a terrible person, and you need to shame them and let them know that. <laughs> right. I think that's a a lot of it is is just the way national media has, has portrayed it. They've they've put it they've pit the people against each other. Yeah. I think is is a big problem in it. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Yeah, it, you know, and, and the media is a you know more people pontificate about the media, and I don't know that we can say anything new and exciting here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but but it, you know, it, it would. My father taught journalism here at Tech. And, you know, and I said, what do you teach him? He said, the first thing I try to teach him is to change majors. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing I try to teach him is to write a declarative sentence. <laughs> wow. you know, the house is red. It's okay to say the house is red. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, on some days, and with a certain sun hitting it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looks a little more orange. Has an orange so, hue. And orange. we don't have orange in love. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. That's a complete non-starter. Right. right. <laughs> Well, nowadays the house can think that it's blue, even if it is red. So <laughs> you've got that to add. Self identify. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, that was bad. <laughs> that was good though. So during your time, what was one of your proudest moments that you uh, accomplished in the, in the legislature? Yeah. Um, I don't know that any single event stands out. I think that um, redistricting, redistricting congressional lines was very divisive. And, you know, the Democrats have been in charge for 150 years. Wow. <laughs> so, um, but, and we took a lot of heat for that, but in the long run, you know, the, the, the thing about being in the minority you know, I guess that we had been beaten into submission, and we were, and we grew up in a different time. So we were gracious, and and we didn't break decorum, but we never yelled things at the speaker or things like that. And when when the change happened in the blink of an eye, men who were very influential were nothing. Wow. <laughs> and if you were an up and coming, and I was, you know, like my Democratic friends with whom I served, um, they were. You know they were up and comers in the Democratic Party, and in, the, in a blink of an eye, they were nothing. And um, and and they were good men. Some of them yeah. were really good men. Some of them were very vitriolic. But it was you know it was just a, a sea change, and uh, it took I think both sides a little bit of time to kind of figure out where the where the smooth water was. So, but I think that 
you know, because of gerrymandering over those years, every we took in 99, the Republicans took every statewide elected office in Texas. There was just John yeah. Sharp, I think, was the last one as comptroller. And then he ran for governor, so or lieutenant governor, rather. And so we, um, so, but yet, even it going all the way up to 2003, we still had our, our congressional district was still Democratic control. There were still more Democrats we send to Congress. So the, the idea would be that we make the congressional delegation look like Texas. And so that was it. And it was, I mean, it was, it was brutal. I mean, it, it was over that that the, remember the Democrats left town? Yeah. <laughs> you know, went to Ardmore, Oklahoma, yeah. and, and we were stuck on the House floor, <laughs> kind wow. of wondering why we are being punished because they're not around. <laughs> but, um, but in the, 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 the minority party can be a vocal minority. They can use every parliamentary procedure to accomplish their goals. But they don't get to win. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that and that was the ultimate outcome. That, sure. that at least I haven't figured out. I mean, by delaying or by getting enough sentiment behind them, perhaps you you can win. But in those situations, uh, my understanding of the rules is the majority. <laughs> the yeah. majority is always going to yeah. win. Yeah. But um, so that was. I wouldn't say it was the proudest moment of my life, but I think it was the biggest um, singular thing that in we did some great stuff with tort reform um, you know the I, I laid the foundation I introduced all the legislation back then about if you're the base of taxes goes up the rate comes down hold taxpayers harmless Dustin ended up uh, getting that passed um, but I had that on the floor for three days, I think, one time. Wow. wow. And yeah. got my teeth kicked in by the Texas <laughs> Municipal League, the Texas Association of Counties. And, wow. And then everybody else who just plain didn't like me. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it was, the I was fortunate and blessed to get to serve when I did because we, we were, I have some very dear friends on the other side of the aisle, and they're still my very dear friends. Yeah. And so... Um, and even my own party. I mean, I, I remember my desk mate saying, hey, Carl, my city doesn't like your, your legislation. I said to him, I, call him, I said, you know you don't represent a city, right? You <laughs> represent the people who live in the city. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. kind of need to think through that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, he was, a, he was a mayor pro tem, so he was all about whatever the city wanted. So. Right. And wow. that's, I mean, that's fine. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was not thus constrained. Yeah. And you've you've kind of um, I like that you know we've talked about this a, a little bit that you've kind of uh, ran your your career on you know what you think's right for the people rather than rather than what anybody else you know what the elected officials want or what the the mayor or any offices or any any influence. Yeah. is business wise stuff like that have ever have ever thought correct yeah um i tried to teach my kids that other than the blood of jesus another thing is more liberating than not caring <laughs> <laughs> i love that you can use it <laughs> you can attribute it to yourself yeah. too but the okay so i was an accountant sole prediction accountant i was a nobody in lubbock I wasn't a part of a big church. I didn't go to 
Rotary. I was a member of the Lubbock Lions Club, you know, where we threw biscuits at each other and stuff like that. Yeah. We didn't really throw biscuits. That's just a bad rumor. <laughs> um, but we are, they have a table, the Republican, you guys need to join Lions Club because it's just good fun. But they have a table that, that was perpendicular to the, to, the, to the podium and they call it the Republican table. Except the Democrats, they called us the public and table. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and there are still Democrats alive and well in, in, in Lubbock, and they're, they're good people. So anyway, but, the, um, but the, the point of that is is that because I didn't know anything about city government other than it existed and kind of how it functioned, or county government, or state government, I didn't know what all our agencies did, I didn't know by what rules they all played, I was not... Um, I think the seven worst words, one of my, the admirals that I used to work for has said, the seven worst words in any organization is, that's the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was not constrained by convention because I came from a finance standpoint, looking at the business model and looking at return on investment and things like that, and applying just basic principles, the principles that my mother taught me, that my faith prescribed. You know, I just tried to vote the principles. Yeah. You know, if it if it made more government, did I would always ask, does it does it increase government or or diminish government? Does it increase the reach of government, uh, where you give them more power, which means less power by the individual? Because at the end of the day, it's the individual who needs to govern himself. Yeah. And so anything the government takes on, it is it's not, it's a zero sum game. Somebody loses that. So, but do taxes go up? Do, do you know? Does it raise taxes or lower taxes? Does it increase government or not increase? Does it, does it give more individual freedom or does it take individual freedom away? And not every question we had was a one or zero answer, but but that is what what I always tried to do was vote the principle, not the politic. And and I just believed that if some for some reason the people at home would not have agreed with me on the vote I made. At least I could explain it. Right. Yeah. You know, if I voted the politic, I'd have to remember what the politic was. Right. Yeah. You know yeah. what the political <laughs> answer was or how I voted. But this way, a, um, I set myself up to be taken out anytime the voters were tired of me, and yeah. um, or I didn't represent the feelings of the majority of the voters. Um, and but I I feel as though you know I can remember really one bad vote, maybe two. But I know why that, because sometimes you had competing principles. Yeah. And you have to make a vote. And um, But I voted against tuition deregulation. It was one of the best votes I ever made. Because um, mm -hmm. I knew what they were going to do. They would jack the price of college mm -hmm. up so that, you know, I, I was fortunate. I could work three jobs and put my wife and I through school with no debt. You couldn't do that. One person could barely do that yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I knew they were going to make, make university um, unapproachable for most middle class yeah and they did so now they just have all this huge debt right. um, that is non-dischargeable in, in bankruptcy so yeah yeah it was a perfect plan but the but I, but I appreciate you you saying that that really I just tried um, just tried to boil things down to a principle where it was a one or a zero and follow the principle I have a some people know it but my mother's grandfather so my great-grandfather was a Texas Supreme Court justice when it was a three-judge bench around 1911. Wow. And, uh, and he was a very stern, Edwardian kind of fellow. Um, but he, it, it was a three-judge bench panel, and he said, 
votes should be weighed, not counted. So weigh the, the vote. Make a decision on each vote. And don't vote in the majority because you're afraid to be in the minority. Yeah. If yeah. you really believe it's a bet, a, not a good thing for the people you represent, then vote against it, regardless of what the majority thinks. Yeah. So I had, I had that always rumbling around in the back of my brain. Mm-hmm. Votes should be weighed, not what vote should be weighed, not counted. So. What do you, uh, somebody that's wanting to get into politics and I mean, probably just start helping and <laughs> serving and, you know, if they <coughs> feel that call on themselves to. I have a general rule that anybody who wants to serve an elective office should be barred for life. Because <laughs> <laughs> they probably have ulterior motives. Exactly. In a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we know, we know people who do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the first thing I would do is to tell them what, what I did, pray. Yeah. And be where God wants you to be, because you really don't want to be where God didn't want you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But be obedient to what, um, what your faith and your calling is. And if you feel like God's leading, you need to remember that it, God's leading you to run, not to win. Right. Sure. So are you willing to win? Are you willing to lose? Yeah. But you don't run because people tell you you can win, and you don't not run because they're giants in the land. Yeah. You run yeah. because you feel like you have to. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. Well, cool. Any other uh, po- political, politic type stuff? Or one last know? one. Okay. One <laughs> last one. Um, Wait on it. <laughs> presidential race. What do you think, of, especially what do you think of uh, RFK doing as good as he is right now? Have you been watching any of that? Mm-hmm. Is he moving in the, in the Democratic polls? He's, uh, he's running as an independent. Highest ranking independent so far ever. Wow. He's, I think he's getting something like, uh, I think he's somewhere in the neighborhood of 17%. Hmm. That's enough to disrupt things. Yeah. So he, because he'll get the people, I guess what's frustrating, you know, in, in our party now is that um, no one can cast blame on Trump for how he, President Trump on how he governed. I mean, he did everything. You know, he moved the needle on so many issues. I did that. To the, I mean, his 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 Supreme Court justices were the the reason that that I, if for no other reason, support him for that. The, um, but you know, in in immigration, he was he was right. He was right on Second Amendment. He was right on virtually every issue. That, that we as conservative has always cared about. I cared a, a great deal about medical pricing, medical price yeah. transparency, and introduced legislation um, and continue to work <coughs> on that. And, um, and he just told everybody, hospitals, start posting your prices. Yeah. And, um, but so everything he did, but, but there, even with that, and maybe it's because of that, there are people in our party that, that dislike him. Um, but you can't, I think, fault the way that he governed. And uh, I think many of the things that are going on right now would would be abated if he were president again. So in the, I guess in the big scheme of things, the um, we'll just have to see how that affects the Electoral College. Yeah, and, yeah. And is, <clears throat> does that keep either side from getting plurality? Well, I mean, you'll get the never-Trumpers, 
yeah. on one on both sides. Well, yeah. and that's yeah, right. and that's I think that's what a lot of people are worried about. I mean, that's and I mean, I'm even in the position that I, you know, do I think he's I I've always just not thought that he was the best Republican candidate because he never started out a Republican. Yeah, but I think I you know, he wasn't my first choice. Yeah. Um however, um after he was a nominee, I, you know, we have to be we don't have to be, but I was was all in. It was, yeah, we had to be behind him, yeah. Justices yeah. And, and all of that and he hadn't demonstrated any, you know, bad behavior, you know, I mean he, he wasn't he didn't do any you know, Bill Clinton stuff in the Oval Office, yeah. to our knowledge. So, um, you know, th- th- those guys get away with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, well, I think he was kind of that, you know, overlapping thing. And as it spread apart, he found himself going more conservative on yeah. that side of it than he well, was. Yeah. I, and I, he was forced to. Yeah. So it I, seemed like. Yeah. I go to presidential libraries mm-hmm. if, I, if there's one handy to go. And I was up in uh, Boston uh, a couple of years ago. And um, my dad studied up there when, when I was a kid, so I've been a Red Sox fan my whole life. And um, that's we the, forgive you. I know. <laughs> it was a long. The, the curse of the Bambino was real. Um, but the um, but if you were to listen when we go through the JFK Museum, it, it's very. It, it's it's I want to say that it's elegantly done, but it is. Um, so well done with respect to his assassination. Um, it's a very somber place in that part of the museum. But when you listen to his recordings, you would swear that you were listening to a Republican in a primary discussion. Right? Yes. Well, he was a classical economic theory guy. He wasn't a Keynesian who believes you can spend and tax and spend your way out of any you know business cycle. But he was very much a what you know they call a supply side guy which is classical economics which is where i found myself after multiple degrees on on the topic so yeah, yeah. um but you but he was you know regardless of what you think about kennedy and my family had serious thoughts about the kennedys i won't go into here but they <laughs> <laughs> but he he was conservative and i think rush limbaugh would talk about that that you know and when he was alive and um, around so it was he if 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 RFK is is going to go down that road I can see how he could disrupt it well and it seems like he like he goes I don't know if you've listened to him much much lately but it seems like he is he references a lot of what his dad thought and you know my dad used to used to do things this way and he thought this way and this is the way it should be and and everything else and i mean he he did he switched over from the democratic party to an independent because he's like my my views and beliefs don't align with them anymore and they don't align with the with the republican party and um he's big 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 on on the anti-vax stuff mm-hmm. um uh so it's it's i mean they're my brother's the one that kind of turned me on to him big time and i've been listen to a little bit of what he's what he's been saying and and everything and he seems to he seems to have some really good i mean some really good stuff about him the the problem i think that i'm getting into with him is he is at that point that he's going to disrupt the election yeah 
and he starts dis I can see it disrupting it as far as really going bad for the Republican side. Well, and that's what H. Ross parade did. Yes. So, you know, I mean, you know, you said there's a point at which you just say God has a plan. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, um, and you just, and, and vote, did I mention voters get what they deserve? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe not what they want, but what yeah. they deserve. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, I hope that that more, you know, men and women of of good character, and not by no means imperfect. I never hope, I hope everybody knows that I'm just a sinner saved by grace, mm-hmm. and and I've made plenty of mistakes. I have one friend who says, you know, I commit enough sin before I put my feet on the ground in the morning to put me in hell forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it is. I would like to think that more more people are being called to serve, not see that it's a way to make money or see where you know people will be respectful and which means you know sycophancy but um but it is really about serving and yeah. having a servant's heart as you go about it so um you know i'm a i'm just a huge fan of liberty um you know my favorite period of american history is the is the you know the, the war for independence where you know the writers say that the fire of liberty burned in men's heart i want mm-hmm. those people yeah, yeah. no kidding you know, yeah, right I want those people who know because what the oath you take when you serve office is is very similar to the oath you take when you're in the military and that is to protect and defend the constitution against all enemies for domestic or of the laws of the you know thing when you're in the uh, in the elected office but but we pledge you know those guys pledge their lives their and their sacred honor their fortunes and their sacred honor. I mean, it, when you read the Declaration of Independence, that's the last sentence or next last sentence. Um, they were all in, but they, uh, you know, you would like to have people who, who really feel, um, who understand that they've taken a vow to a piece of paper, but a very unique piece of paper in human existence because it didn't give you liberty; it protected your liberty, mm-hmm. and and, it, and it's important that they they think through that and. And I don't know that most elected officials think through, you know, that they have they that the oath they swore was to protect a piece of paper, right. not apple pie, not land mass, not you know anything. Yeah. But the idea of liberty. Yeah. Here's a question: When you're elected, any office, are you required to sit down and read the Constitution? No. <laughs> nah, you can. How how can that how can that not be a thing? Um. How many? I wonder how many elected officials can even can even tell you what's in the Constitution. That's probably why they they go in there because they don't make them read it. They have, they have to. Then then they don't have to justify their actions. Yeah, yeah. It, but it is it is problematic. Obviously. Yeah. So, um, but you know, to each their own, and, and 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 that's and while the system is flawed, it's still the best thing out there. Yeah, that's true. So and and traditionally. You know, a system that's based on, you know, Judeo-Christian values, and that is take care of yourself. I mean, like I said, self-governance is the real key, because if you govern yourself, you never have to have an interaction with the law. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, if you govern, Christ expects you to govern yourself, um, and 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 that's the template by which we 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 got here. So. Um, you start taking away people's rights to govern themselves, like 
the vaccination deal or, or something like that. I think I think you start taking away people's individual liberty, and pretty soon you're going to have you're going to have people who aren't happy. Mm-hmm. So. Well, awesome. you, you talk about people's rights to self governance, which I completely agree with, and vaccines that takes away your own self governance if if especially if they mandate it and they force it. But another hot topic on self-governance would be something like abortion. I personally have my own beliefs on it, but I just thought about it. The way you the way you talk about self-governance and all that and that being the most important thing, does that fall under something like that? Or do you think that's more of a personal and possibly religious thing that maybe the government government should just completely stay out of? Um so this will get me never elected again, but the <laughs> not that I have any intention. Yeah, yeah I was gonna yeah. say, are you are you planning on running? Somebody's <laughs> announcing it today. Somebody yeah. called me and asked me if I would run for thus and such. I said, Why would I do that? And they said, Well, because we really like you. I said, No, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> I'm really happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was a single digit handicap when I got elected. Yeah. <laughs> those, those days are gone. Yeah. Um the I would say that if becoming pregnant is an unwanted outcome, then self-governance would say, don't get pregnant. And there are ways by which you can avoid pregnancy, Mm -hmm. multiple ways to do that. So the, um, and I I guess I should probably just leave it at that. Okay. (laughs) But that (laughs) that if you had governed yourself differently, you wouldn't be in that position. Now, at and that'll lead you straight into the rape and incest. Yeah. And and that that I think is um, I think in in those cases those 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 cases get really tough really fast. That's yeah. a really tough topic. It is, yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't want to go too deep into it, but it was yeah. it was the one that popped in my head. So yeah. go, govern the action, not the consequence. Yeah. So the um, but I would say I, I think that we should never underestimate our ability to love. Yeah. yeah. So of regardless course. of the circumstance by which the baby is born, we should never underestimate our ability to love. Yeah. Okay. Good answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just back my way out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> Very political. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you've done this before. No, it, it is, you know, it's a one or a zero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, understand you're uh, an F1 enthusiast? I am. God, did I mention God made me to be a race car driver? (laughs) It didn't quite work out, so the next most dangerous thing I could think of was to become an accountant. (laughs) Well, what do you think of the big news that came out this week? Hamilton Uh, and Ferrari. Hamilton and Ferrari. I think that's, um, I think it will answer some questions. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, the other drivers this early in, like, last season and this season, would say Hamilton doesn't know how to race unless he's in front. Yeah. <laughs> so well, and you could knock on Hamilton, but he is a seven-time world champion. Right. Yes. So right. it's kind of like, yeah, quit being but, a hater. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But and, but you know, so when when um, I've been to Coda, I think every race but two. Nice. I think I was in, in out of country one, and then um, fishing on another one. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but. Uh, but I love, I've always loved F1 racing. I didn't get to follow it for some years when I, all my kids were doing that. But now we uh, try to go um, 
to any race we can. Uh, we went to Las Vegas um, with, <laughs> it wasn't my kind of race. I, I probably don't know that I'll go back there because they wanted to entertain me. Right. I wanted a, to see a race. Yeah, it was a yeah. show. So yeah. the, the, to me, the race was a distraction to them. Right. And they were a distraction to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> was, um, it as, was it as much of a shit show as everybody said it was? It, it was... <laughs> when when your car can suck up <laughs> well yeah yeah we won't even get into the box yeah we won't even get into the manhole cover yeah when, when your car creates so much suction it's like some manhole cover up. yeah um there were so we were there um um drew and i were there and the you know it happened so, it was frustrating that everything was in the middle of the night yeah. So that oh, you yeah. could right. watch. Right. Why don't they care when I have to get up at right. four thirty in the morning? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I was still getting yeah. up or getting yeah. up just to watch my American <laughs> race, you know. But I didn't miss a race. I don't think I missed a live race all season. That's awesome. Um, maybe one by accident or something, but it was. Um, but I would get up at four o'clock, whatever yeah. it took to see the race live. I got yeah. up and watched the race live, and and. Um, I got to go to Singapore. I, I, wow. When I was in the Navy, I spent a lot of time in Singapore. Have good friends over there. One of whom puts on golf tournaments for a living. So I went over there and got to play a lot of golf, and um, wow. and then got to see the F1 race. Got to see the race, you know, red flag or yellow flag for a monitor lizard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the story about monitor lizards. But yeah, um, we were playing at the. At the Singapore Island Country Club, which is a Queen's course, and um, and I this was on one of my first trips to Singapore, and they, Chuan, uh, my buddy, we tee off, and there's this big lumbering thing comes out of the jungle, and I said, Chuan, what the heck's that? He goes, Ah, oh, that's a monitor lizard, Carl. <laughs> he's half Scottish, so <laughs> um, he's Chinese with a Scottish accent. It's really funny, he, but he's a great guy and um, and a pretty good golfer. So. <laughs> Um, he says, he said, but don't worry, Carl. When they're small, they're vegetarians. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, is that a small one? He goes, and he turns around and he, and he punch, I was putting my club in my bag and he punches the gas and, and takes off from me and goes, and they're fast too. <laughs> <laughs> like chasing after yeah. little dinosaurs. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, it was like a seven foot long lizard. Oh my God. Oh, it was crap. ridiculous. So anyway. Uh, so I wasn't a vegetarian. Then I was, yeah, told, yeah. <laughs> and I was told if, if well, the next time I saw it, you know what they did with that monitor lizard. He goes, "Oh, the locals found it, and ate it." So, oh my god! Yes. <laughs> the barbecue, um, but the the racing part of it itself, um, you know, I think you know what Red Bull's done and having Verstappen and Perez um, are, you know, when 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 you're on. The, when they told us that the number two driver for Red Bull was on the bubble, and he was in second place <laughs> right. to, yeah. to Verstappen, who was dominating everything. I mean, yeah. what else are you going to do? I mean, right. yeah. Dudes, I mean, it's like I couldn't be any higher. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, but it was it, it the I when they when they so when that manhole cover came off, we we pulled chocks and went back to the room because we knew they weren't going to race at midnight, like they said. And then we found out the next day that at two o'clock they sent all the fans home and closed the track so that, and then sent all their employees home and, and just so that the, the practice round happened with nobody watching. Um, 
that's when people got really cranky yeah. Um, yeah. about it. But rightfully so. Um, but it was the race itself was as good a race as I think we saw all season. Yeah. So in, in terms of just racing, right? Um, and uh, I think that's what saved the weekend almost. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a great race. race. Yeah. It was just a, a plain great race, mm-hmm. and and that track was set up. And but the way McLaren came on late in the season. Mm-hmm. Is I think hopefully foreboding of things to come. You know yeah. now they're talking about being in the top three, yeah. which means Mercedes or <laughs> Ferrari has to right. Yeah, got to fall off. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that but but McLaren has a very rich race history, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and so it, it's not unlikely. I think you know the twenty five rules are going to be interesting with the new engines. Ford is coming back in, yep. and um, who else? Is Peugeot is going to have an engine. So I think so. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But I've I liked what the FIA has done in, in letting the you know have fatter tires and more mm-hmm. downforce. I'm still kind of ambivalent about the um, the you know the passing gear that they give them. DRS. You know, the oh, DRS. the DRS. Yeah. Because that means if you need DRS, it means your car's not as fast <laughs> yeah, as the yeah, guy in front right. of you. Yeah. So it does take away, it makes the racing better, mm-hmm. but it, it's, I think, it, you know, if, if I were you'd always be in second place right. yeah. and wait for the end to make your pass. Right. And then yeah. it just creates that whole train of them sometimes, right. you know, where nobody's, nobody can get by. You do anything. Yeah. 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 So cars are so competitive that mm-hmm. it's, uh, what, it's what is, as someone who doesn't follow F1 very closely, get out. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what mute mute his mic, please. What, <laughs> what is DRS? Drag reduction system. So in the back, the wing actually opens up to allow more airflow. Mm-hmm. So they actually get like I don't know, fifteen miles an hour yeah. more of speed. Yeah, it's but all... they have to be within one second of the car in front of them. Oh, okay. and there's only certain zones on each track that they have yeah. that. And so they they build odd. up energy. I guess they have like a hybrid system. Yeah, where they build up energy, and then you get so many times you get to use it. Oh, okay. Um, and go and and just go. But but yeah, getting allowing your back tail to open up and let air flow through there, reduce your drag, is um, you know it. Let everybody do it. I mean, let the lead right. car do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, but but to have an advantage simply because you're <laughs> the guy in front of you is faster than you. Right. Yeah. It, it, seems, it seems like you just need to be a better driver at that point. Yeah. Or, uh, or have a better car. Yeah. 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 A better better car and a better driver. So that'll, you're, uh, that'll be what's interesting about Hamilton. Let me just finish that. Is yeah. It is Hamilton's lack of success recently because the car wasn't competitive. Because yeah. Ferrari hadn't been like tearing it up either. Right. So, you know, what, who, you know, who's going to get Hamilton into the fastest car? Right. Um, but that means everybody now, some, now somebody has to fleet in as they named a new driver mm-hmm. in Mercedes. I don't think they have. Yeah. They've been talking about, uh, um, oh, who are they talking about? Um, well, I saw they were talking about some kid that's been signed with Mercedes yes. since he was like 12 years old. Yes. Right? Something like that. In karting and has gone his way up. And he's. So, in uh he's in F two right now. He's I think he just won the championship in F two. Wow. Is is what they're what they're really talking about right now. It is funny how that I mean, I, I had no idea that that infrastructure existed until recently. I don't oh, know yeah, how you know, back in the seventies you, you got there right. other than you were rich and yeah. <laughs> no, it's so we were talking about this last episode. Um Hamilton, uh most most every every racer 
out there in F1 has started in karting. Right. Um, it's bigger. It's Europeans. Uh, it's the European baseball, basically. Right. You know, every every kid karts. Yeah. Um, Hamilton had a it was multi million dollar deal with uh, I think it was Aston Martin. If I'm not mistaken, um, like 13 years old. Wow. Yeah, he, I mean, he was he was already you know by by 11, 12, 13 years old. They knew he was going to be an F1 driver. Yeah, it was it was nice. just already done. Yeah. Well, so I saw a thing today in 2013 is when he went to Mercedes, and that's when there was a bunch of uh, changes and stuff. Right. So see it being really similar that now he's going to Ferrari when a b- bunch of changes are coming. Yeah. You know, to see that yeah. he'll be there to help implement them. And yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, he was indomitable. That yeah. Mercedes car was, was unstoppable. Yeah, unstoppable. Yeah. They were so quick. Yeah, I mean, so clearly faster than everybody else in the yep. field. So even if you were a better driver, yeah, it didn't matter. Which is which was exciting. You know, I have mixed related, but when when Verstappen won the first time, yeah, because it was a one lap showdown. Yeah, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, wheel to wheel racing right. for one lap, um, and he he. He got by Hamilton and, and, and won the championship. Um, was that in Austin that he did that? At Coda? Uh, Dubai. At Dubai, at yeah, the end of the or, season. Uh, Abu Dhabi, yeah. Yeah, right at the end of the season. Yeah. That was a, a really great season. Um, yeah, I didn't win it, you know, yeah. 10 races beforehand like last year or whatever it was, yeah. and so it was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a little <laughs> yeah. ridiculous yeah. This, this time. Yeah, by when by Vegas he won it. Yeah. Or, so. But do you think it's a salary cap that's doing it? Yeah. It seems like the salary cap is what really seemed to be the end of Mercedes. Um, I think it just coincided. I think they, from an engineering perspective, just weren't fielding a competitive yeah. car. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. whatever, um, you know, whatever Red Bull figured out, and apparently it had to do with their bottom of their car. Yeah, they mm-hmm. figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, of course, and everybody says that he's only successful because he's got such a fast car, you know. Well, and but look at Perez. Well, it should be he, the same car. But he yeah. also took out Hamilton, right? With a equally competitive, yeah, exactly. You know, car. So it is. But yeah, I mean, but when you're when you're winning F one races by twenty five seconds, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's impressive. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, which means. He could have a much slower car, right, and still win races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yep, that's yeah. interesting. Um, Cadillac, dude, that uh, that hurt. That well, hurt. I was I was happy about that. Well, so Andretti replied to their thing and said that uh, the application stated twenty five and twenty six. Well, they have said all along they have no, you know, plans to race in twenty five. It's actually four twenty six. So when F1 came back at them, they were talking about 2025. And Andretti's been talking about 2026 the whole time. So he kind of fired back at them and said, like, nobody's reached out to us for a meeting. Like, we're ready to, to meet and talk this out. And yeah. so I don't think it's dead, but it's definitely going to take some more well, stepping stones. Seems like it couldn't be. Well, I guess it could be dead. But, I mean, it, it's they've already put oh, tons of money. Yeah. They've, already, they've already got a freaking car that they're testing. Right. I mean, how well, do you and have such a team with such history, and even Mario winning, you know, yeah. F one, and like it's crazy. Yeah, it it is when you think about the just the engineering mm-hmm. and how these cars are test beds for hybrids and 
Right. And you know, I just how we use technology. How we use two and a half liters to get right. you know, yeah. seven hundred horsepower out of two and a half liters. I mean, when when I was turning wrenches, that was unbelievable. I mean, if you had a you know a, a big block Corvette with a four thirty horsepower four twenty seven, I mean, you were like a cat daddy. Yeah. You know, or a guy with a Shelby or something. You're a cat daddy, and and those were big motors. You know, big engines going up and down slowly. Yeah. yeah. These are, you know, when you read about you know, what car is it? The, it's a, the Bugatti. Yeah. What a 16 cylinder yep. car. Little baby pistons going up and yeah. down. Quad really turbos. Fast. The Chiron. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's amazing that the technology and the ability to, that you have with, you know, being computerized that you can control the air and the fuel and the, and get the timing right on yep. that many pieces flying around. Yep. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, insane. Yeah, you know, it, it's seven thousand and nine thousand RPM. It's just crazy. Yep. Yeah, so, be good fun. Did I mention God made me to be an F one? Yeah, driver? yeah. <laughs> I, so I've lived my entire life outside of God's will. It's the only thing I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Maybe you can so, take that spot, in Mercedes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. So. So, kind of a little bit off topic. Uh, somebody pointed out to me today. They showed me this. Uh, have you guys ever seen a Rush Auto Works car? I don't think I have. These it's like a Rush SR or something like that. Yes, like R O U C H. R R U S H. No. It's um, like Tom Sawyer. So it is. It's a company out of out of Houston, and because I'm looking, you know, we're already taking the steps. We've got. Two three years to go before before Gage goes from carts to cars, and uh, you know, but I'm still already researching it and and stuff like that. Well, this thing is a it's a one seat center seat car. <laughs> Look at that thing! Wow, it's a thousand thousand cc GSXR motorcycle engine, and <laughs> oh, wow. it fuel injected. Um, they're super low maintenance. Um, Super Parts light, avail available, like pretty easy. It's a shifter, everything shifter yes. cart too. I think with yeah. paddles on the yeah, wheel. Yeah, it's a paddle paddle shifted car. Twenty eight thousand. Um, well, that's a used for one. a used one. Um, but even even a new, I think he was saying today. A good option. Well, the like, ba actually, I looked it up. The base model is twenty eight thousand um, dollars with about eight thousand dollars in upgrades, which they suggest kind of on it. Yeah. Um, you're at like it's I think it's like thirty eight nine or something out the door on them. Um, is it street legal? No, no, <laughs> no. It's a it's a pure race car. But I mean, for somebody for somebody that's trying to go from where do you race? What class? It? Yeah. I mean, what well, class so they've already they've already got a series here in Texas. Um, they've got four races annually in Texas, and then you can. Uh, um, they're testing them a lot in Crescent. They're testing them a lot at uh, at a lot of the local tracks here around around Texas. Um, yeah. I started looking at these things, and I was like, "Man, this is because it's tempting." Ariel Adam. <laughs> Ariel Adam. Oh, I've heard no. the name of that before. I heard that Adam. one. Yeah, those are sweet. There's yeah. one that was running around Lubbock for a while. They're extraordinarily fast. Really? Um, yeah, you can street legal, basically a race car. Yeah, it's a it's a kit car that you buy, right? No. Oh well, yes, yeah. I have. Oh, started yeah. like a full exoskeleton. Yeah. yeah, it started as a kit car, but what you, what they were doing was like there was a, actually a dealership in Wichita Falls. 
Huh. The, okay. They assemble them for you, but they they started with like Honda engines in it, mm -hmm. you know, um, and the little Honda engines, and then they kept getting bigger and bigger. But they were the cars weighed nearly nothing, and they you know have 265 horsepower you know stock engines in them. You can always tune them. So see, and that's that's kind of what we're doing with our vet cart. I haven't really said much to you about that no we've got a we've got a c4 that we're uh i i bought it a year and a half ago or so haven't really done a whole lot with it yet um we just stripped it all down so far but we're gonna leave the windshield in it the firewall the rest of it's all gonna be tubed wow. and roll cage around it and just put a bunch of freaking nitrous to that old 350 <laughs> engine <laughs> Put some we're gonna put some QA1 suspension on it, some real good suspension, some really good brakes, and we're gonna go out and autocross it and drag race it and every, it should be essentially <laughs> it should American be fun. Yeah, it should yeah, it should be right. like two thousand pounds. And it'll still get beat and, by a Subaru. Oh god. <laughs> right. Get dusted yeah. by a Subaru. No, this thing is I mean, at two thousand pounds these things are ba it's basically a go-kart with a V eight engine in yeah. it. You know, I mean, and once we get it stripped down, we can put as wide of tires as we want on it, yeah. front and back, you know, yeah. so um, we just haven't done much yeah. with it yet. But no, it's uh, that rush car is, I mean, as far as entry level racing goes, it's, you know, it's tempting. We're look. We were looking at. I mean, most kids. Most kids in America either go to um, Formula Mazda or um, Spec Miata. And Spec Miata, this this is kind of the uh, turning into the alternative of Spec Miata. Miata, um, everything Spec Miata is hand built, built in a garage usually, stuff like that. They're having issues with safety and and yeah. breakdowns and and things like that um, that these don't have. Yeah. Um, Formula Mazda, it's it's huge around around Texas here, um, just because it originated in Crescent. You know, so I mean it, but it's uh, that they're they're really pushing to get a whole series going nationwide and and stuff like that. And the big the big thing that we're looking into is is what the what the age limit's going to be. Yeah. You know, Spec Miata. I think you can or not. Um, I'm sorry, Form Formula Mazda. I think is uh, if I'm not mistaken, 14 years old when you can start doing that. So. Yeah if the age limit's a little bit little bit less on on something like this yeah. we might lean lean towards something like that you know yeah so i've ended up on racecars.com so <laughs> race-cars.com here, here's your 22 porsche 992 gt3 cup car it's only three hundred five thousand dollars. yeah only yeah. yeah wow and it better not be your last three hundred dollars. yeah that'll get you the car but it ain't gonna get you very far on the yeah. next track but I mean, the second ultimate, place in the pro championship and has seven Carrera Cup wins. So that specific go. car, yeah, wow, at only three hundred thousand. Yeah, that's. Oh wait, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, how much would you pay? That's yes. cheap racing these days. Seriously, I mean, it's and and that's what, that's what we were talking about. Like they're they're saying with that Rush SR car, um, your average four four race season. You're looking at like three to five thousand dollars for travel for every the the whole for, expenses, for the yeah. And we were almost ten thousand dollars last <clears throat> last year in the karting. 
What are you looking at? Maintenance costs on those brushes. I might maybe go to a racing school. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Start getting your racing license. I mean, you can't can't race F1 without a license. So (laughs) might as well make it happen. Get my 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 laps in. Yeah. That's a yep. That's a formula. I think that's a formula Mazda car right there. Formula Ford. Oh, okay. Different series, but very similar cars. Yeah. It just has timing chain problems. But it's fun to see that racing's alive and well in America. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what we were talking about um, last episode. Actually, is just the the difference between looking at Europe's racing scene compared to our racing scene, and it's like, yeah, that's it's it's um, you know, speed is money is speed. Yeah. So, um, and you get to that level where they're they're parent. You know, my dad was a college professor, so it's not like. I was yeah. gonna, you know, they didn't pay people to play with me. Yeah. You know, I can't even tell you how many tens of thousands of dollars I had tied up in cartwheels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, but it, it is, you know, it, it, and with SCCA racing and, and mm-hmm. just, you know, the sport, you know, the cars I own are, you know, kind of used for that a lot. I have, you know, this urge to, I still have a 64 TR4 Triumph. Um, I opened the paint shop. <laughs> they still haven't. I haven't seen it in a while. But there is, because I run with guys who modify cars, my friends down in Houston that just, I mean, they just did this gorgeous 63 Corvette, like, wow. and put a lot of money into it as a show car. But, you know, he drives it. Um, but it's, a, it, you know, the, so, but they retro mod so mm-hmm. many cars. It's kind of like a, well, why don't we just put us a little small block in, <laughs> yeah. in it, and then, but I, but then it loses to me maybe some of the flavor of it being right. a little British sports car. Now, yeah. if you're talking about maybe a turbocharged, you know, Subaru engine <laughs> in it, <laughs> you know, we could maybe talk, but maybe keep it in, you know, something in the 300 horsepower range. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, but it would, but with, but then your problem is I really like the the wire wheels. Now you're talking about spinning the wire wheels. Yeah. Around, yeah. Um, um, so it, it is, do you, you know, how much of the classic look do I want to maintain and feel of, a, of having a, a truly classic, you know, accurate car, or do I just want to have fun? Right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and you know, by travails with the, the Alfa Romeo, yeah. like, why do you even keep that engine in there? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It is nothing but trouble, so, but yeah. I love my Alfa Romeo. Yeah, it, it is a cool car. You have yeah. Do that it is, yeah, and I, and I, told I need to see it someday. I, yeah. I saw the, um, there was a yellow one in Border, Texas in 1975. It was a graduate, which is the low base model of it. Um, but it was named after the movie The Graduate. And and I just fell in love with the lines of that car. And, and the urban legend is that that was the last car Pininfarina penned himself. Oh, wow. That he wow. drew that car. That was the last car he drew. So it has a sentimental value to me. So when I got back from Iraq, um, there was one for sale here in Lubbock for like forty five hundred dollars. Wow! And I thought I deserve that. Yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> and I think every every man should own a red Ferrari or a red Italian sports car at some point in their life, like yeah. and then drive it like it's a red Italian yeah. sports yeah. car. <laughs> Um, and I'm sure I annoy a lot of people. Now they know who I'm going to be. <laughs> yeah. I think it's an Alfa Romeo. <laughs> um, but the um, but I love I love driving and I, I love the story of the car. 
but I've always loved the lines of the car. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so when I had an ability and a um, you know a modicum of money to to buy it, it was it was a pretty solid car. And I found a mechanic in Austin that would you know specialized on it or trained on it in the eighties, um, and so he could keep it running for me. But you know he's kind of getting out of that. Uh, wanting to do that, he wants to spend his time working on Ferraris or his mm. own stuff. Yeah. But, um, and he has two or three of those. But anyway, it's a, uh, it just it's a special car to me. And and even though it's not a show car, even though it's, you know, it's one of those cars. It's that a driver. Ten feet yeah. away, it looks yeah. great. And, you know, yeah. It's yeah. a great driver, and I enjoy it. My little MGB is is a great driver. Yeah, those are fun cars. Running. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we got the finally got the right distributor yeah. in it. No. Um, that was a wiring nightmare. We got yeah. that thing. So other than out. keeping these guys, you know, with the lights on. Yeah. Right. Ninety percent of their gross profit for <laughs> 2023. <laughs> so um, it, uh, you know, it's it's. I'm getting to the point where I'm going to have room in my my shop and I can start turning wrenches again myself. But there is this what I do with my TR4 is you know it's again it's an Italian design, Michelota, whatever his name is. He designed the car, styled the car with a British engine in it. And so it's it's again it's a, a car that I've always thought was really beautiful, really beautiful lines. And you know I I just like having cars that the working man could afford. Yeah. And you know and, and I'm, I'm a big believer in. Drive it to work on Monday. Race it on Sunday. Drive it to work on Monday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Remember, you guys are too young, but you know, like the Nissan Five Ten um, in the seventies. You know, they were they were a great class car and uh, just little hot rods. And um, you know, about the story of the the Mini Cooper and, mm-hmm. yeah. and people racing those things. So you know, it's just funny to see. In some races, you have a mini, <laughs> a mini, you know, Real you know, tiny. and a Corvette is trying to get around it. Or right. Something like yeah. That. So, yep. Good fun. Good, good, clean fun. Yep. So. I, I think a lot of times when it comes to something like that, it's the sentimental value is played in part or plays a large part in just the fun of driving it, even if it's a slow car. For me, it's my 96 Corolla, and that's because the the history of the Corolla and the history of Toyota and those in the Japanese circuit racings, it comes with 100 horsepower to the crank, you know, if that, but it's one of the most fun cars I've ever had, and especially growing up in Colorado in the mountains, that little front-wheel drive car just, it, it goes, and it's fun. I get beat by everybody, but... Every time I get in that car, I, I'm, I'm never frowning in that car, and, and it's that, just and, how, and it's just yeah, a Corolla. You that's know? how my cars are. They just make me happy. Yeah, you know, I don't drive them in the rain. If I have to put the top up, then why do I have a convertible? Yeah. So, well, and that's why that's why I got a Subaru, <coughs> Subaru for snow and rain, and I'll beat the hell out of that thing. And yeah. it's got an oil leak, and I just dread pulling the dipstick out every time because once I find out how much oil is on it, then then I know how much oil is left in it, and then I gotta be conscious about whether it's gonna blow up again. And, right. But that, I mean, that little Corolla is just, yeah. and it, it's been in my family for a long time. It was my father's, and then my sister's, and yeah. then mine. And I taught myself how to drive a manual on that car, and it was the first car I started modifying. And yeah. it's uh, it has a lot of lot of value to me. And I mean, I could be given any car right now, and if I had to get rid of one, I don't think I could get rid of that. 96 Toyota Corolla. I, I taught myself how to drive a standard. I was 14 years old, and um, my dad was teaching at El Paso at UTEP. And um, 
I had uh, been arranged to take care of a, a like a dog across town. <laughs> yeah. Just you know, so but it, it wasn't like across town. It was about two miles over there, yeah. and it was raining one day. And I so I called my sister's best friend who lived about two blocks away, and I said, "Hey, can you take me over to this house? You know, I need to go take care of that." She said, "Come on over." So I went over to her house, and she threw me the keys and said, "Just you know." You don't wreck it. It was, yeah, a, yeah, it, was a, it was like a it was a, a Maverick, a Ford Maverick, <laughs> and uh, with a three on the tree. Oh and, wow! And I had read enough race car books to know that you ease it on the gas, I leave yeah. it on the clutch. <laughs> and it was raining in the hills of El Paso, <laughs> and I was fourteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I yeah. that's how my first driving experience. Wow. Um, was just given the keys to a car and <laughs> told yep. how it there was. There you go. So, yeah. and but but I've been a gearhead my whole life. I've, I've, I'm a big fan of the internal combustion engine. Yep. I just mm-hmm. I love the sound of one. Um, I and and I what I like like in Lubbock when you drive around, there are guys who have some low riders that they love, and you can tell they love them in their mm-hmm. great looking cars. I appreciate them keeping those cars on the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I appreciate at some level with the guys who keep Model Ts on the road yeah. and, because they love cars. They love that car. And that's maybe the car they, they have. And my first car was a 1956 Pontiac Star Chief. It was the the only things that it didn't have. It, it There was an optional tri-pack and had um, 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 spotlights. <laughs> <laughs> it did not have spotlights or <laughs> or a tripod. Or a tripod. But it had a big four, four four barrel and it had a big oil bath filter up front. And when you hit it, it went whoo. And it was just a great car. And you could sleep six in the trunk. Uh, <laughs> actually, actually, you could put a circle there and land helicopters. Yeah. Uh, so, but it was just this beautiful. It, but I, it was my grandfather's car and he wouldn't buy a car until he could pay cash for it. So in 1956, he walked around the corner. It was like literally a block away to the Pontiac dealership in Breckenridge, Texas. And he bought the nicest Pontiac Star Chief he could buy. And then he died of colon cancer. Oh, wow. And, uh, so I got the car in 1973, I guess late 73. Wow. My grandmother gave it to me. And, and I love that car. That's, That's cool. Awesome. That is cool. But, but, I, but I, was, I started in auto mechanics as a sophomore in high school. My, yeah. my college professor parent, my brilliant mother, let me turn wrenches. I guess they thought I wasn't going to mount anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I needed a trade to fall back on. Because I clearly wasn't going to make it as a student. <laughs> <So> <laughs> and I don't blame them. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't care. I was yeah. that kid that didn't care about I mean, I got all the English. I mean, when I don't know if I ever told you. But when my friends' minds were turning to mush in the summer, my father made us give a written and oral book report every Friday. Oh my really? God! Wow. So I'd had about all of the English language. Wow. <laughs> but, but I could I could fail every class. But if I made a B in English, it was over. <laughs> so, really? <laughs> I was done. Yeah. But um, but we but it did teach us. I think we all became you know lifelong learners and and voracious readers. Um, and it and that has served me well, yeah. obviously, to be able to read um, a lot. The, uh, but it was just, even with that upbringing, I had this love for cars. My parents let me, let me do it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and I still love cars. Getting back to F1 real quick. Oh, man. Favorite team? I, it, I think I'm still in the Red Bull camp with, with uh, McLaren. 
a really yeah. close second. I'd love to see Williams get competitive again. Because you're a big Aston Martin fan, aren't you? I am an Aston Martin fan. I'd, I'd love to have one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have a McLaren. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the Aston, so um, did I show you pictures of what I drove? Y- yes. The Bentley Speed? Yeah. Oof. So, yeah, it, it, it's a car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a serious, serious car, and my friends let me drive it. Um, the, you know, it, it's, you know, I can't afford a car like that, yeah. so it's fun to get to drive it yeah. when, you, when, you, when you have those opportunities. But a car that does zero to 60 in three and a half, they, they weighs 5,000 pounds at a zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's some pull. Serious that's business. Serious, right? serious push, but... Um, and and no sensation of speed. I mean, the car is so beautifully balanced um, and engineered that you, no noise, no sensation. Just, yeah. Just yeah. luxurious speed. I got to drive a Rolls Royce Ghost, and it was kind of that same thing. It's like big V twelve, I think, in that thing. You know, yeah. it doesn't. You don't even really hear it. You just. Right. You just watch the speedo and it goes right. up. You know yeah. what I mean? And those, yeah, and some of the, those rolls, you can't even hear the air conditioning. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they're so well, well yep. made. But, you don't even you know, realize until you're getting pulled over for going 80 over. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, um, yeah, I always know because. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing that uh, um, that I, I've always noticed, and somebody in the, in the paint world just pointed it out to me. Um, Rolls Royce. Have you ever paid attention to the paint on them? It, it, yeah, it's immaculate. It's perfect. It's, it's deep. They are hand painted. Every single one of them. Everything's hand done on their car. Yeah, it's. Hand there hand is hand. no like any modern car, any any car out there. I don't care if it's Ferrari, if it's Lamborghini, McLaren. You look at it, and you can see orange peel in it. Mm-hmm. All of them. I mean, there's some some waviness, some imperfections to yeah. their paint. Rolls Royce is flat. Yeah. Put it's, them under a neon light. And yeah. That's when you can see all the imperfections. Yep. So, and yeah. Did I remember? I owned a detail shop. I owned the first detail shop in Austin. Did you really? Oh, wow. I, oh, wow. Me and another guy, this guy wandered through the shop one day. I was doing tune-ups and, and uh, right after I got mm. out of school and he said, I just got out of the Navy and they're doing this thing in California called detailing cars and they polish them <laughs> up and they clean them and I think we ought to open one. I said, okay, let's open one. <laughs> so, yeah, it was and, awesome. And, uh, yeah, I guess I was 20 years old, maybe 19 years old wow. and started a company with him and um, we did it at a Genie car wash in Austin and we started with one bay and, and added on a steam pit so we could clean engines and by the time we were done, we had five bays and uh, we did all the used all the car dealerships. We did all of their used cars and those that went on their showrooms, <laughs> including Continental Cars, which had Jaguar, Jensen Healy. Oh, and, nice! Uh, wow. In fact, I saw a Jensen Healy drop head on the on Hemmings uh, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind having. I I got to the, when I bought my first Harley. Um, the the choice was a this Icelandic green, nine eleven. <laughs> For like five thousand bucks, or this um, used or a, a Harley, and one of my friends explained to me that you can have more fun on a nice bike and a beater car than you can <laughs> with a with a it's probably you, right. know, a, yeah. you know a nice car and a beater bike. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but that 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 whole Harley thing derailed me for a few years. But I, you know, I, I rode twenty thousand miles a year wow. on our Harley. So. Um, 
but it but I got it you know and I'm not you know 65 years old now and need a ponytail when I had flat stomach and most of my own teeth so, <laughs> so but it's um but I still um I, I I like really pretty bikes I don't want one anymore um the uh I, I bought a Triumph um I guess it's a Thunderbird, a big 900cc thun, um, Triumph a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I rode it out in the hill country like I used to ride my Harley and scared me to death. And oh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I sold it. Wow. And uh, yeah. uh, it just, mm. it's just not where I want to be right now. I'd, I'd like to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people drive so aggressively now. Right. Well, and that's, yeah, that was the big thing. Like I was telling them, I, I, uh, I was had a motorcycle shop before I before I moved to moved to Lubbock and I had two Harleys when I when I came down to Lubbock and and uh got out and I I hadn't even gotten a chance to break them out of the storage unit or anything yet and just driving around around the city and everything for about the first month we were here and and uh I was I was like you know what I'm not riding a bike in this town. This is way too dangerous. The people can't drive here. I was like, no, it's... And there's nowhere to go on a weekend putt. I mean, in the hill country, you could go out in any direction and be in really pretty country with with twisties and and, and have a nice putt. Yeah. Um, And some lakes and things like that. You You had destinations and you had roads and trail or, you know, back roads you could enjoy. It doesn't matter where you go out of Lubbock. The roads are all straight. <laughs> you get out to Ransom yeah. Canyon, I guess. So. Yeah, that's about it. No place to really putt. So. Well. Are we done? I think so. Had all the fun we can take. I think. Well, battery's dying on the computer too. <laughs> I can grab the charger. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a sign. Unless, yeah. Well, uh, we you got some more stuff. I got, I got one little thing. So. Um, What's a good joke? You got a good joke? We try to end on a joke. Okay. <clears throat> so, you know, we live in cotton country. So there are these two farmers, and they lived right next to each other. And there was Billy Bob and Joe Bob. And Billy Bob, um, you know, he was just a dirt farmer, and and he drove an old pickup truck. His wife had an old you know, Buick or something, and, you know, they were just barely able to make ends meet. And Joe Bob was, always had, you know, brand new boots on, brand new cowboy Stetson hat, and, you know, a diamond Rolex, and um, he was just very prosperous. And they passed one day in the in the bank, and, the, and Joe Bob says to Billy Bob, he goes, Joe Bob, how is it that we farm right next to each other? We get the same, we have the same dirt. We get the same amount of rain, and yet you're so very successful, and I'm just barely getting by. <laughs> and Joe Bob says, "Well, um, Joe Bob says, you know, I'm a man of faith, and every day I get my Bible, and I close my eyes, and I let it fall open, and I do what it says. If it says to sow, I sow. If it says to reap, I reap, and that's just how I've learned, you know, what done my life." And he's, Joe Bob said, um, and Billy Bob said, "Well, I appreciate that, but you know, I'm." I'm not really much a man of faith. Well, time goes by, and um, you know n- nobody thinks about it. But then all of a sudden, Joe Bob comes driving up to the bank, and out comes Billy Bob 
wearing a brand new Stetson, creases in his jeans, <laughs> new handmade cowboy boots, and he gets in getting and his brand new pickup truck sitting there. And, and Joe Bob says, Billy Bob, what on earth happened? He said, well, I'll tell you, Joe Bob. Yeah, like I told you, I wasn't a man of great faith, but things got so bad that I went and got my mama's Bible down off the top shelf that was covered in dust. And, and I blew the dust off and wiped it down best I could. And I was going to do whatever it said. So I closed my eyes. I let it fill open. I pointed at the page and I did exactly what it said. And it said, well, what on earth did it say? It said chapter 11. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, wow. <laughs> Took me a split second. So ch- oh, oh, oh. Wow. Okay, that's that's the best joke I got. Yeah. Well that works. Well cool. I've got one real quick. This is my joke of the week. What's the difference between Wuhan and Vegas? Oh no. Oh god. <laughs> What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Well, cool. that is man. A good one. well man, I appreciate uh, you joining us and get to know you a little bit. And, uh, man, I'd, I'd like to get to know you more and come check out your car sometime and, and uh, come see your stuff, <laughs> Just man. stop by any time, Eric. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. They're in the back somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> they need to eat. Right, right. <laughs> Keep them rolling. Yeah, I think they give you know, like ninety percent done, and then no, yeah, that needs to be done. Now. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, cool. Anyway, it has been fun talking cars and life. And, yeah, uh, a little bit about what's going on in the world around us. Sure. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Definitely. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Was I terrible?